Hello and welcome to Stapleton Church Online, where we are one church meeting in literally hundreds of locations today. Some of you may have begun since the stay-at-home order lifted to start meeting in people's homes to watch this together, or you're watching online in a uh, on our 9 a.m. stream, or maybe even on a watch party or at some other time. I'm so glad... I'm so glad that you're joining us. My name's Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Stapleton Church. And we are all about helping people follow Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus, it's the path to the fullest life. It is such a weird experience preaching to no one in the room, but I'm glad that you're with us right now. My nephew, Grant, drew a picture this week of what it's been like for them uh, having church online, and they've been watching uh, and joining us online, which is amazing, even though they are distant away. Grant, thank you for your picture. If maybe you guys have some pictures or kids have a picture or, or you're taking a picture or video of now meeting groups together or what it looks like in your living room or watching when you're still in bed or wherever you are, I, I just would love to see where you're watching uh, church online this week. But I'm glad you're with us today because we are going to finish our series, Victory. Have you ever asked yourself, does God love me? Uh, Or maybe an alternative to that, does God still love me? There are times and circumstances in our lives that cause us to question that very notion. Now, the theology that God loves us is probably the most popular aspect of Christian doctrine. That the love of God, that's why John 3.16 is the most popular Bible verse. For God so loved the world. Wow, we love that idea that God is love, as it says in the scriptures. We love the idea of God's love. And I think most of us would say that God does love the world. But the real question is, does God love me? Does God love me? And I want you to think about that. Does God love me? Not does God love you, or does God love the person next to you. Does God love me? Now, some of us would say, yes, I I believe that. But the question is, do you always believe that? Think about that. Do you always believe that? Because what makes it more difficult is when there are challenging circumstances in our life or we have fallen into some sin. Have you ever done that? And then we wonder, does God still love me? We say, oh yeah, he used to love me, but does he still love me? I think that's a great question. Because when life is going great, when you're getting the promotion, when you're healthy, when life is good and you're living in your new house and things just seem great, you just got married, you just graduated high school, whatever that thing is, you say, oh my gosh, I can just feel the love of God. When you're with those people around you, you know that God loves you. But then, what about when circumstances change? When you get furloughed as an employee, when you don't get into the college you want to, when a friend rejects you, when you have a relationship break up, What do you do in those situations when you're in a pandemic? You wonder, does God still love me? It doesn't feel like it. I don't feel his love in the same way that I did before. Or maybe in relation to your sin. See, when you're living obediently and doing what you're supposed to do, when you're in the rhythm of going to church and you're like, wow, I'm giving back, I'm I'm serving, I'm going down and volunteering. But then you start falling into some sin. And that sin gets you again and again and again. And you just feel awful and you feel guilty and you wonder, how could God still love me? I know better, and yet I still am sinning, and we wonder, does God still love me? You know, I've heard that this feeling of, does does God still love me, is referred to as daisy theology. You know, a daisy, like the flower. You know, that you take the flower, and what little kids do with the game is they they pull off a petal and they say, um, he loves me, he loves me not, or she loves me. 
She loves me not. He loves me. Hmm. He loves me not. And you take off one pedal after another after another as a game to wonder: Does this person that you have a crush on love me or like me? You know, we we think of that as kind of a childish example. And you know, it, it, Daisy Theology um, Hunter this week he pointed out. He said, you know, I thought it was a sunflower, not a daisy. I think the point is, and that's because of Shrek. But the point is, is that it's a flower with petals. But when you pull off those petals one by one, he loves me. He loves me a lot. He. he she loves me, she loves me not. With God, God loves me, God loves me not. And I think sometimes we get into that rut of daisy theology. It's not just a childish game for crushes. The same thing happens, man, with the insecurities of dating. Oh, man, I am so grateful that I'm not dating today. I am so grateful. You know, I do feel like a dinosaur when I hear about dating or, or reading about how people are dating or do premarital counseling. Everybody's meeting online. And it is such a fraught period of dating because... You meet someone online and then you shoot them a message and then a text and then you, you finally have a date in person. Wow, that's a miraculous thing almost nowadays, especially in a pandemic. But then you're like, oh, this is great. But then you're wondering, does this person like me? I, I thought they did. I, I thought I was reading the signs correctly, but now I'm not so sure um, because they haven't texted me back. Oh, but maybe they sent me an email. Oh, maybe it was in a messaging app. Maybe it was on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or, or, or maybe it's in the dating app, which, if you're watching, I hope it, it is Match or uh, Christian Mingle. The other ones, mm, not so good. Actually, I have no clue. Um, I'm so far out of the dating game that I don't know what a good dating app is or anything like that. Um, I, I'm, I'm definitely from the Stone Age when it came to d- dating because Melissa and I met in person. I asked her out in person. We dated in person. <laughs> okay, but, but now that's, that's in the past. But the point is, even when you're dating back in the Stone Age, when you were dating in person or dating online today, man, it can lead to a lot of insecurities. We're trying to read the signs and the signals. Does this person like me? Do they love me? What's going on? And I think we take that same insecurity we have in the love of other people and we apply it to God. Oh, I worshipped and I felt His presence. It was just so powerful. I, I know God loves me. But then, oh my gosh, it feels like God isn't there. Is He even answering my prayers? I don't know. And then it feels like God doesn't love me. You know, we're, we're still playing the game. The daisy theology, pulling out another pedal and another pedal. Does He love me? He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And I want to get us to grow up past that. I want us to move beyond daisy theology today as we finish our series in Romans chapter 8. And this series, Victory, I think has been incredible. Um, I hope that you have loved it as much as I have because this chapter, Romans chapter 8, is one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible. Some say it's the greatest chapter. I mean, it's debatable. There's a lot of great chapters in the Bible. But it's been so powerful. And I just want to review for just a second if you haven't been here for all these messages. Or you can go back and watch them on YouTube or on our website at stapletonchurch.com slash media or just listen to it on a podcast app. But if you weren't here, we learned in the first week on Easter Sunday that Jesus was condemned so you could live in victory. See, Jesus' death meant that we could live our life here and eternal life ahead in victory, knowing that Jesus conquered over the grave. And then in the second week, we learned that when we are believers in Jesus in what he did on the cross for us, then we receive his Holy Spirit. And no matter what we face in our life, That the spirit is stronger, that we can conquer over any sin and self-weakness that we have. The spirit is stronger. And then in the third week, 
we learned to find your confidence in the Father's love. See, we can be more confident within ourselves and be able to go out more boldly in our life and not be always afraid and fearful and insecure because we can find our confidence in the Father's love. And then last week, we looked at how God's still working. So even though there's suffering and difficulty and challenges in our life, God's still working. If there is suffering, that means God's not done yet. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And today we finish out Romans chapter 8. But what we're going to do is that we're going to leave our childish, daisy theology behind. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 together. You can follow along on an app, on your physical Bible. You should probably get that out so you don't have to be multitasking on your phone if that's what you're watching on. Or you can go to the YouVersion app and take some notes right in the scripture. Um, If you are watching this on social media, you can see the link to those sermon notes. And we're going to see in verse 31, and that's where I want you to start reading with me. It says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this verse isn't saying that there's no one against us. What it is saying is that God is stronger than anyone who's against us. Because there are things, there are people, there is suffering that is against us. So it's not that there isn't anything against us, it's that who is for us, God himself, is way stronger than anything else. That's so important for us to see, because God loves us, he cares about us, he wants to bring us through, he's still working in our lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? And in verse 32 it says, He, speaking of God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Once again, Paul is pointing back to what Jesus did on the cross. That our Father in heaven loved us so much that he allowed his own son He gave His own Son to die on the cross in our place to take our death, to take our punishment, our sin, upon Himself to free us from sin and give us eternal life. That's incredible. And what it's saying is, okay, that was the most incredible thing in the world. He gave up His own Son for you. And if He's willing to pay that high a price, the little things you're going through right now, it might seem big, man, but it's nothing for God. He's going to take care of that as well. Imagine you're going to a restaurant, and it's a fancy restaurant. You're excited. Things are expensive on the menu. The person who brought you says, I'm paying for it. And you start looking at the menu. You're a little unsure. Have you been there? Like, well, I want to get the steak, but is that too much? Should I just get the chicken? Okay, some of you have done that on dates as well. But then the person who's bringing you and paying for your meal says, you know, don't worry about anything. I got it because I just bought the restaurant. It's mine. I own it. You can get anything. You can get multiple things. It's mine. I bought the whole restaurant. You can get whatever you want on the menu. Wow, that's pretty generous. That's amazing that you made this huge purchase already. And that's like God. Uh, He's already given us His Son. He's given us the biggest thing in the world. Paid the highest price in the world. The blood of His own Son. And that's why it says, but if he's done that, he's going to graciously give us all things. Be like, then you are sitting there at the restaurant, you're looking at the menu and saying, "Um, yeah, I I think I I will get the chicken. Um, Is it okay if I get a side salad? Is it okay if I add bacon bits? It's a a $2 upcharge to add the bacon bits to my baked potato. Is that okay? The, The person who brought you this wealthy benefactor would be like, what are you talking about? I just told you I bought the entire restaurant. Did you not hear me? Okay, this is a little thing. 
I think even more so, God is saying, if I gave you my son, I can give you so much more. You can have victory in your life. I love you so much that the things you're going through, I want to help you through them. I want to help you through them because I love you. Just because it's difficult, it doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you and I'm going to bring you through them. I already gave you my son. Look, look, look at him. And in verse 33, there's, there's this series of questions that Paul asks. And that first one was in uh, verse 31. But in verse 33, Paul asks, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. The language Paul is using here is the language of a courtroom. This is legal language. Someone's bringing a charge against you. You're in court and they're accusing you of a crime. Okay. With this question too, it says, who will bring any charge? Well, the, the reality is, is lots of people can bring charges against us. We can bring charges against us. We know our sin. We know our guilt if we're really honest with ourselves. We know that we have done things in our past that are sinful. We have lied to people. We have cheated. We have stolen. We have sinned against people and against God. If we look at it, we could bring a charge against ourselves. And other people could bring a charge against us as well. Maybe it's an old friend or an old acquaintance that you used to get into trouble with years ago. And you see them, you know that they know things about you that maybe nobody else knows. They could bring a charge against you. Maybe it's someone you hurt or harmed. Maybe it's an old boss or an employee. Maybe it's an ex. And they know things that you have done that are awful. People could bring charges against us. But it says, God is the one who justifies. It is God who justifies, Paul writes. See, justifies is the legal declaration of not guilty, that you're righteous, that you're innocent. It doesn't matter what the uh, opposing, the prosecuting attorney says if your judge says not guilty. If the judge says not guilty, the advocate says not guilty. And we have the greatest advocate on our side who wins every single case. This is like the greatest trial lawyer that the world has ever seen. Wins every case and he's on your side. It doesn't matter who brings a charge against you. You will win. That is how we are in Jesus Christ. So when we bring charges against ourselves, when others bring charges against us and look at the sin in our life, we don't have to feel so guilty and think, there's no way God could forgive me for this. I have sinned and sinned deliberately against him. How could he forgive me? It is God who justifies, Paul says. God is the one who declares you righteous, who forgives you your sins. It is God who justifies. Who can bring any charge against you? It is God who justifies. Listen to that. Even if it's Satan himself who is whispering in your ear that you are a sinner, that you are doomed, that you have sinned and you have guilt that you're bearing, even if Satan himself should whisper in your ear, you can say no. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Martin Luther once said, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus. Even if Satan comes to accuse you because he is the great accuser and he is whispering in your ear, you are guilty, you are condemned because what you have done you say, no, 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 even though I deserve it, Jesus has forgiven me. It is God who justifies. We don't need to worry if God doesn't love us anymore. He still loves us because He has justified us once for all. Paul continues with another rhetorical question in verse 34. He says, who then is the one who condemns? And here the answer is a little bit different. No one. 
Yes, people could bring charges against you. Yes, people um, could come against you as enemies. But guess what? No one can condemn you. Because you have been declared righteous. You have been forgiven. Christ Jesus, he goes on, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is on our side. Jesus has won. Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus is on our side. Know that. You don't have to worry, does God love me? Does he love me not? No, he loves you. Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of our Father in heaven right now with love for you. If you have put your faith in him, Jesus loves you. Um, Paul goes on in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemics or unemployment or a divorce? Can any of those come against us? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing that they do to us, nothing that the world throws at us, nothing that we even do in our sin can separate us from the love of God if we have that faith, that trust in Jesus through it. Paul continues now in verse 36 and he quotes a psalm. He says, as it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, for a long time, I wondered, why did Paul throw in this psalm in there? It seems to kind of throw off the whole rhythm of this beautiful poetry, this rhetorical flourish that he has at the end of this chapter. And yet, when you go back and read this psalm, which is Psalm 44, you realize that it is a psalm from God's people of long ago. And that God's people suffered. They struggled. They were attacked by enemies. And yet God still chose them. It wasn't because of their sin. Uh, it was God had still chosen them. He still loved them. And yet danger happens. Jesus says in this life, you will have trouble. There are difficulties in this life. There are hard things. There are suffering that we will undergo. That we will deal with in our lives. And we know it. Some of you are in isolation. Some of you are lonely right now. You're missing your friends, your family, your church family. But nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because God's people have this history of suffering. And it's good to keep this in mind. Yes, we're in a difficult pandemic right now, but look back in the past. God's people were in slavery in Egypt. God's people, when they entered the promised land, they were oppressed by the Philistines. Then, when they finally established the kingdom, the Assyrians came in and destroyed the northern kingdom. And then, the Babylonians came in and took over the southern kingdom and took all of the people of God into exile. Then the Persians ruled. And then the Greeks ruled. And then the Romans ruled. And in fact, when Paul wrote this letter to people living in Rome, hence the name Romans, it was six years. It was six years before the Roman emperor himself would start slaughtering Christians. Hundreds of Christians were killed because of their faith and nothing else. This is on the brink of all that happening. And Paul is writing saying, yes, God's people have suffered. This isn't unprecedented what you're going through. Man, that word unprecedented, it really has been thrown around a lot, hasn't it? You've seen it all over the news, all over social media. This is unprecedented times. I think, though, yes, there's some uniqueness to our times, technology especially. But the people who are saying that this is unprecedented are the people who weren't paying attention in history class. Seriously. In history class, you learned about the 1918 flu, the, the Spanish flu, the influenza that wiped out so much of the world's population. If you studied history, you'd know that there was cholera and smallpox and tuberculosis and the bubonic plague and all sorts of things that killed all sorts of people, diseases and plagues and viruses. 
And we look at that and we think, oh my gosh, we're living through the worst times in the world. No, we're not. It's not unprecedented. There is suffering in this world. There's been worse suffering in our history. So what we're going through, God is with us. And, and though we go through it, it doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that at all. Nothing, he says, can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No pandemic. No coronavirus. No COVID-19. No being in isolation as you're suffering in a hospital with this disease, if that's where you are right now. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. In verse 37, oh, I love this verse. Underline this, memorize this verse. No, in all these things, Paul writes, we are more than conquerors. Underline that. More than conquerors through Him who loved us. That word, uh, more than conquerors, is the Greek word, hupernikomen. Okay? Hupernikomen meaning... Uh, hyper, like where we get the root word hyper, hyper victory. It's a hyper victory that's more than a victory. Uh, these are some of the translations of it. It could be a super triumph or overwhelmingly conquer. It could be complete victory, sweeping victory, supreme victory, a most glorious victory. This is the greatest victory ever. That's what Paul is saying here with this word, hooper, no common. It is the hyper victory. And it is ours in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors. I love that phrase. This is like the greatest victory ever. Now, uh, I did some research on the greatest sports victory ever. It was in 1916. In 1916, Georgia Tech took on Cumberland College in a football game. And Georgia Tech ended up winning that football game, get this, by 222 points to zero. 222 points to zero. Isn't that incredible? It's the greatest sports victory of all time. And that team, Georgia Tech, was coached by none other than John Heisman, of whom the Heisman Trophy, you know, the award given annually to the greatest college football player, that trophy was named after John Heisman, this coach who produced the greatest victory. Okay, it's that sizable of a victory, even take that times a hundredfold, is the hyper victory, the super victory, the more than conquerors that we are in Christ Jesus. See, nothing can separate us from the love of God because Jesus has already won the greatest victory. He's a greater coach than John Heisman. That's how incredible it is. And I want you to have that victory in your life. This, this whole series has been that, about that victory. And I want you to know in every step you take, no matter what goes on, you have victory in your life. That you can overcome anything. And I want you to hear from the story from another woman in our church named Jerry who experienced victory in her life over some difficult, difficult circumstances. Let's hear her story. Hi, my name is Jerry Dillard, and when I think of victory, I actually think about it from two vantage points. The first is a physical victory that I experienced. It was Christmas time 2013 that I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer, and within a month I started chemotherapy followed by surgery and then a month of radiation. And it was during this year of treatment that the Lord gave me victory after victory. There were so many prayers that were answered. I was even healed of a MRSA infection, which I can tell you is pretty scary. And perhaps the most dramatic thing that happened was that halfway through my chemotherapy treatment, my doctors could no longer feel my tumor. It appeared to have disappeared. 
And so when I had surgery a little later, the pathology report revealed that I had what they called a complete pathological response to the chemotherapy with no evidence of disease. And so now here I am, a six-year breast cancer survivor, and I think I can consider that to be quite a victory. But there was another victory that unfolded in my life during that time, and that was a spiritual victory. You see, my elderly mother-in-law moved in with us. She had dementia and severely arthritic knees so bad that she could barely walk, and I essentially became her primary caregiver. And so during my year of treatment, every day I would go into her room ravaged by the effects of the chemotherapy and looking like what I described to be a plucked chicken, the Lord enabled me to serve her. And not just serve her, but serve her with a heart of gladness as unto him. And just like what the Apostle Paul spoke of, I believe that I learned the secret of being content in my circumstances and that truly I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I have to tell you, those were some dark days. They were difficult, but I emerged from that valley experience being fully persuaded that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Nothing, no disease, no challenge, no hardship, no pandemic folks can separate us from the love of Christ. And so I leave you with this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow, wasn't Jerry's story powerful? That she experienced that victory over cancer in her life. And even more so about helping someone that she loves suffer. Sometimes that's even harder than suffering ourselves. And she experienced that victory through the power of God and God's love in her life. And I want you to have that too. Paul ends this chapter, ends our series, with some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. Let's look together at verses 38 and 39 of Romans 8. For I am convinced, I'm persuaded, I believe it, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So neither job loss or a furlough or financial difficulty or a conflict with a family member or, or even a divorce that you went through can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can, not a physical ailment, not a virus that works on your internal organs, not the suffering that you experience, not even dying alone in a, ho- in a hospital bed by yourself can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is what Paul is saying. That is what Paul is saying. Just because you're going through difficulty, it doesn't mean that God stops loving you. He loves you through those things. He wants to help you through them. He wants you to be a super victor. He wants you to be more than a conqueror in your life. 
It's so important for us to realize this because sometimes we, we forget and we think the terms have changed. Yes, God saved me in the past, but I have done something now to separate myself from God's love. Wrong. The terms have not changed. God saved you from first to last. It is by grace you have been saved. The grace does not, those terms don't change just because you're a believer. It's not like, now that I'm a follower of Jesus and I know better, I can't sin anymore. No, there is still grace. There is still forgiveness. You're still saved. You're still entering into eternal life by the same way. And so Paul would say elsewhere, um, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He started it. He's going to finish it. Or why Jesus would say that my sheep listen to my voice and I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them out of my hands. And then to make it more emphatic, Jesus says, and my Father who is greater than I am has given them to me. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hands. Jesus has His hands around you. The Father in heaven has His hands around you. No one can separate you. They are holding on to you. They love you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And His stop, it's time to stop. It's time to stop thinking that, oh, maybe God doesn't love me because I don't feel His presence, or, or because I sinned, or because bad things are happening in my life. No, 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 no. God loves you. He always loves you. His love will never depart from you if you have put your faith in His Son, Jesus. That's all it takes. Put your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And some of you need to do that today. And in just a minute, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say a prayer. And when you say this prayer, you are declaring your faith in Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, who is the one who condemns? No one. God is the one who justifies through His Son, Jesus Christ. You are declared innocent. You are given eternal life, victory here in this life, no matter what comes at you. God's still working. And then when you do die, that even death itself won't separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You know, a little while ago, we were watching Frozen 2 as a family. We were watching Frozen 2 as a family, and I don't know if you've seen it or or what you think about it, but in Frozen 2, the first time we watched it with McKinley, and mind you, she's only three years old, there were a few times that she was scared, so we fast-forwarded through those parts. We fast-forwarded through those parts. Well, a few days later, of course, what happens with a three-year-old? We were watching it again. And the second time we watched it, it was interesting, because I was watching McKinley, and I was anticipating those scary parts coming. I had the remote ready, but she wasn't scared. She didn't ask that we fast-forward it. And it was interesting because Melissa looked at me and remarked, she says, she said to me, it's not as scary when you know the ending. It's not as scary when you know the ending. See, here's the thing. We will face troubles. We will have hardships. We will have difficulties. We will have financial troubles. We will lose jobs. We will lose people we care about. We will suffer. We will have physical ailments. And eventually, every single one of us will die. And yet, none of that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because we know the end. We know that one day we will stand before the judgment seat and we will be declared by the judge not guilty, justified, righteous, forgiven. Please enter into the presence of the Father. That declaration is ours because God loves us. So it's time to abandon our silly, daisy theology And instead of saying, God loves me, He loves me not, we can say once for all, God loves me, He loves me still.
If you're ready today to put your faith in Jesus Christ because you want that love that conquers everything, I want you to say this prayer with me. Say it out loud. Father, I know that I'm a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus was condemned for my sins and rose from the dead. Please give me the gift of eternal life. I declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I invite your spirit to live in my heart. Help me to follow you and live in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time and you accepted Jesus into your heart, I am so excited for you. Congratulations. Now you know the end of your story. You will be in paradise forever with Jesus and with all the believers, the the body of Christ that you don't even see around you right now, but we're with you in spirit. And if you did that, I want you to text the number that's at the bottom of the screen. Please text that number. Text the word follow to that number so that we can get in touch with you and encourage you on this new journey of faith that you're taking. And for all of us, I want to say a prayer as we close our time together. And remember, come back next week. We're starting our new series called Jesus Is. You're not going to want to miss this great series that starts next week. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you love us, that you have called us, that you have justified us, that you've forgiven us, that even though there is suffering and difficulties in this life, none of that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Even our own sin and the guilt we sometimes feel like we bear, even the condemnation we sometimes feel from ourselves or others or Satan himself can get in the way of you who justify, you who love us, you who sent your own son to die in our place. Lord God, let us never forget that you love us and you love us still. Amen.